Hello, this is Paul Duncan, and this is the eighth episode of the Footballs Scouting Podcast. Today we have on one of our XTB scouts, Matt Holder. Matt, how are you doing today? Good, man. How are you doing, Paul? I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Absolutely. I just randomly had a, had the thought that maybe we should get intro music, but I, I don't know. That's I don't, the yeah. one thing I think is lagging right now. You need to get some tunes going. Get the, people in, get the people into it. Get some pump-up music. Absolutely. I do feel with my strange music taste, I, I would p- pick the strangest <laughs> thing possible, but, you know, so... Absolutely. We'll we'll we'll, uh, we'll get Marcus. He uh, he was a rapper back in his day. Uh, so, uh, Matt was hired in our um, our last run of uh, of hirings when um, we start we started at like four or five, and then we had like a big hiring of like seven or eight, and then when some of those people kind of dropped out, we kind of put a call out on Twitter to see uh, who would want to join the team, and uh, Matt Matt was one of the uh, winners of that those sweet stakes <laughs> i know you're uh, happy about that Big and he's done a great job both writing the scouting reports and his weekly um his weekly college football like what to watch articles that we're calling them uh yeah nfl draft prospects to watch is focusing on a few guys who looks like are probably going to be in the draft in april highlighting a couple games for everybody to watch says god knows there's a lot of them on saturday so exactly so, uh, Matt, tell me a little a uh, little bit about your background, uh, Background, where you bo- born into the game, came into the game late. How did that happen for you? Uh, yeah, so my football story, to uh, steal a little segment from NFL Network there, kind of starts when I was just a young pup. Um, when I was, uh, where I grew up in California, you couldn't really play uh, tackle football until you were about eight. And then when I was seven, uh, after my last soccer game, I had the infamous quote to my parents of, uh, does this mean I can play football now? And uh, <laughs> I've never I've never voluntarily played a, played a game of soccer ever since, just not my sport, not my thing. Um, I grew up I grew up a fat kid, so I like being the goalie and, and just hanging out in the back and uh, picking daisies, some of that kind of stuff. But, um, but yeah, so then I started playing when I was eight, um, played all throughout elementary school and middle school, uh, ended up playing in high school. And then in high school, you know, my school, we were uh, my – was not known for its football program. My cousin had played there a few years before, or graduated about 10 years before I was. I did. Played all four years and went 0-40. So uh, we were not a traditional powerhouse, to say the least. Um, you know, we didn't get a whole lot. And then with that, you don't get a whole lot of guys coming out for the team. So it kind of, if you're any sort of decent football player, any sort of decent athlete, you're playing both ways. Play both ways uh, in high school. And then was lucky enough to go play D3 ball up in Oregon, uh, go play college ball. And I'll preface this by saying I was not a very good football player, but uh, what I was good at was I was smart. And that was kind of like how I differentiated myself is I knew what to do and knew where to put myself and um, kind of how I had to how I had to adapt to the college game and how to make myself stand out. But and then in college, um, you know, I came in as a, a blocking tight end. In a, in a offense that we're running the, the fly sweep for those that know about it. It's kind of a nuanced offense. And then we got a new head coach, our head coach left. And then uh, through that, got a new offensive coordinator, ended up running the, the Texas tech air raid. Our new offensive coordinator was a, was a how mummy disciple. Um, and then that offensive coordinator ended up taking a D one job. So he left. And then in my junior year, we got another new OC and he ran more of a, a spread uh, triple options type style offense and didn't want to use tight ends. And so he had me try and move to be uh, one of the big slot receivers, but being a blocking tight end uh, had those bricks for hands and was not fast. So that didn't exactly work out um, about part of the way through my junior year, ended up switching to defense and then played D line uh, my uh, junior and senior year, most of my junior and senior year. So that's kind of like where I kind of got a lot of my football knowledge is, you know, basically played uh like i said played both ways all growing up throughout high school and then learned three different offenses um and then a defense where we ran you know a multiple set we didn't really have like a set defense we were a three four team with some four three packages and all that good stuff and um kind of a really kind of helped me now out because there's not really an offensive scheme or a passing scheme or running scheme that i haven't played in and seen um coming from my background and then defensively uh 
obviously have that background as well. And then after playing, um, you know, it's my last year in college. I was still finishing up school and I wanted to wanted to help out and uh, help out and get into the scouting world. So I interned with um, with our recruiting department and at a D3 school, for those of you that don't know, um, there is no scouting department. It's not like a D1 school where you have, you know, your two, two or three people dedicated just to recruiting and they're kind of your scouts. And then the interns are getting coffee or whatever at a D3 uh, school, your interns are your scouts. Um, they don't have the funding, you know, a lot of the, the recruiting coordinator and the coaches will help you out. Um, and kind of giving you a guidelines, but they're really relying on you for to basically build priority lists um, for uh, basically building priority lists for them for the next year and for that incoming class and kind of really getting the nuts and bolts and getting into scouting. That's kind of where I really got the passion for that. And then after graduation, uh, ended up taking a job with PFF, like, you know, um, kind of building on that, uh, building on my football knowledge more. And I also simultaneously started uh, my own blog where I was covering NFL draft and the, the then Oakland, now Las Vegas Raiders um, doing that stuff. And I ended up getting picked up by a bigger blog and doing some more writing with them and kind of uh, found my way to the, found my way to the scouting Academy, which is where I continued to build on the football knowledge, get more hands-on base learning from uh, Dan Hatman who's a former NFL scout, Lewis Riddick, all those guys um, over there kind of refining the, refining the skills and, really understanding what it means to be a scout, what it means to write a report, uh, kind of how to watch film and all that kind of stuff. And then, uh, yeah, like you said, you know, saw that uh, new serial from just the, the Raiders Twitter, the Raiders blogging world. I saw he uh, he posted that and was really like the stuff that you guys had done and then kind of led me to here. So. Exactly. Yeah. Great. Uh, that's a great. Like, I know um, usually when I hear like stories of people becoming coach uh, coaches or scouts, it, it, it is very similar to that. It's I played football. I wasn't the biggest and the fastest or the strongest, mm-hmm. but I was the smartest. Usually there is a, uh, a career ending knee injury there in there. I'm glad <laughs> you were able to uh, avoid that. And then being able to work in recruiting is prop was another, I'm guessing, very big thing for you. I know. A lot of people, like, when they think of, like, jobs that they want to do in sport, they're always like, I'm going to work for Ohio State, <laughs> work for the big boys. But Southwestern Oregon uh, Catholic State needs help, uh, <laughs> needs help as well, too. And yeah. while the people who are, are above you may not have, like, the most clout in the world, watching football is watching football. Exactly. You're, you're going to be learning more about schemes. You're going to be need to recognize, uh, recognize players regardless and while i'm sure there was kind of a jump a difference between scouting high school players and scouting college players yeah a lot of the stuff of being able uh compare um comparing traits recognizing tendencies um is all the same uh both ways yeah Uh, what were what were some of the things that you learned in the recruiting office that you think has helped you the most being a uh being a scout um, well, I think one of the biggest things is uh, recruiting for a D3 school is a whole different animal. I mean, obviously, you're looking at kids who are 16 to 18 years old, still growing into their bodies. So it's never going to be perfect. Whereas, like, obviously, if you're watching NFL film, it's going to look a lot different. And uh, especially at a D3 school, like, if I find a, a 6'5 wide receiver that runs like a deer and can stop on a dime, I'm not even going to watch him because I know he's not going there. He's going to Oregon. He's going to Ohio state or whatever not like that. It's not going to waste my time. So what it really forced me to do is like, okay, I'm taking these kids who, um, like I said, they're not there athletically and they're not the best player, probably not even the best players on their high school team. They're you know up there, but you know, if they've got a D one guy on their, uh, on their side of on their team or whatnot, there might not be the best. And you're really focusing on, what they can do and more focusing on the positives than the negatives. Obviously you want to bring up the negatives. You want coaches to be able to like know what they're getting into when they end up going and watch the film. But you're really, really forcing yourself to hone down on what can this guy do for me. And that's kind of what I've, uh, what I've taken over to the now, like the college level in the NFL draft is obviously these guys are going to have flaws. You know, I think Matt Bookmeyer in our scout school the other day was talking about it too. It was like, you can kill a guy easily. You know, you can say a guy doesn't have the right change of direction. You can do whatever you need to to basically say we shouldn't draft this guy. But, you know, the ones that are 
There's scouts that I think that are really good or they'll acknowledge the flaws, but they'll find out what this player can do for you and what this player um, can bring to the table. And I think that's one of the biggest things is it really forced me to kind of not I hesitate to say look past the flaws, but like figure out what can this guy do? Where does this guy win? And really focus more on that than the, than the negatives, which is what I try and do now is kind of figure out what this guy can do and what I like about him, where I trust him and focus less on what's bad about his game. If that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. And I'm sure one, if you were able to find a player who's uh, how he wins and what he does well at matches with what the co- uh, coach wants out of his player, then you're putting that little uh, putting that little star right down by his name and telling coach about him. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole thing is, you know, coaches will anybody who gets into a scouting department, whether uh, whether you're um, or when you're starting out, you're not making the decisions. That's one of the things that uh, Dan Hatman really um, hammers home in the the scouting academy is at the end of the day, you're just telling somebody else what you think of them. You're not making the decisions. And if you're killing a guy or you get a coach that tells you we're looking for this type of player, like find that type of player, find a player that wins that way. And then from there, you figure out the flaws and whatnot. But at the end of the day, you're not the one killing the guy. You're not the one uh, making the decisions. So don't make it right there. So it's definitely definitely a big piece of it yeah one of the things about like kind of being a more an amateur scout or a scout that isn't attached to a team is that we don't have a coaching staff that tells us what what we what we're valuing i remember uh back in our um back in our draft right days we had a guy in the uh, a fake know-it-all in the in the <laughs> chat and uh, he was one of those guys who would kill a uh, kill a player. Like he'd be like Trevon Diggs. Trevon Diggs is like a fourth, fifth rounder. He he can't play zone. And I'm like, but he can play man. And yeah. if you're a team that is runs a zone corner, you're probably not going to look at at drafting him. If you're a man <laughs> team, you're going to be very very excited to draft him. Yeah. Players are going to get drafted by teams that want their uh, want the good things that they have. No one's going. No team is going to specifically draft somebody that doesn't fit their system, unless he's like the coach's son or something. So yeah. being able to recognize that NFL teams are actually smart. <laughs> Bill Belichick and the guys who run NFL teams are genuinely are yeah. most likely smarter than the people criticizing them on Twitter. Right, right. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think that's one of the, the biggest challenges about, you know, where we are in our position is or as uh, in the media kind of playing that matchmaker is we're not like a, it's not like you said with a, and on a team, you'll have a specific type of guy you're looking for, like the Trayvon Diggs example. If I'm a zone team, I'm not going to go after him. Whereas for us, we kind of got to figure out where he fits in, what type of zone he's going to be best in. And I think that's one of the, definitely one of the biggest challenges, but you're 100% right of, you know, Everyone's got a different flavor. Everyone likes a different type of player. But at the end of the day, it's not necessarily about what you like. It's what about what your boss likes and what they were, what they're looking for, what the team's looking for. Yep. I th- yeah, I feel young scouts should try to focus more on describing a player as opposed to ranking the player. Definitely. Whether whether or not you think a guy is wide receiver 13 or right wide receiver 19 in a draft class really isn't as important, um, isn't going to make you any better. But understanding what that guy does well, what team is going is going to draft him, and uh, figure out what that player's role is. That that's what that's what real scouts do. That's what we're trying. That's what we're trying to be. I can't give too much information about our um our scouting scale yet, but it it will come down to mostly being a tiered ranking system. We will probably have multiple players having uh having the same same grades. We're going to have probably one, uh, one maybe two seven uh, 7.0s out of position. There will be probably three to five people in the six nine to six seven range and then there's probably going to be 15 players that are um on a position like corner that are going to be in that six six to six three range so um if we we wouldn't have like say rankings rankings the way we do things that things would probably come out with tiered rankings right with with each grade representing a role that we think that player can fill so that's that's one of those like scouting things and one of the things I look for and I hope the people above us are looking for 
in a, trying to differentiate between real scouts and media and media scouts. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Sorry, you were, do you, you repeat that? Did you ask? I have a question there. Oh no. Um. Uh, so. Oh, you're good. Um. How is the how is the scouting uh, scouting academy for you? I know we have uh, a handful of people on our team that went through the scouting academy. I personally um, did not. I was told by some people that the scouting school that I was do um, that I did for three days with the Senior Bowl and the scouting I did with um, Sports Info Solution kind of covered my basis and got me done with 101 and I don't need to do scouting 101 both places but I've always wondered what nuggets you um, people would get by going over there what do you think the strengths were of that program and what do you think what are some things that you think um I guess weren't the best or you um you kind of re- rejected as you moved on to sc- uh, scouting here and doing reports your own style um I think one of the one of the biggest uh, things that I took away from it was basically how to structure your report and kind of how to back up your uh, back up your statements. Like one of the things that they preach there is we're not going to tell you what to look for necessarily. I mean, obviously there's some background that you need to know and have, and they'll give that to you, but it's more about how to watch film and how to write a report. Like, I mean, Dan can, or whoever's reviewing your uh, report can disagree with you, but as long as you can make that point and back it up and that's where they're, they're really going to drive home uh, that I really loved about what they drove home at the scouting Academy. Cause that's one of my biggest things too, is I don't, you know, if I have an argument with someone or I don't agree with someone, I want to know the why I'm not always like, focused on the what, but if you can tell me the why, then I can at least buy that or whatnot, or I can at least give you, or you can at least earn credibility in my book where if you can just tell me, Oh, this guy's not a good route runner. I'm like, okay, well, what does that really mean? Is it, you know, is it change of direction out there? Is he not explosive at the top of his route? Whereas, so that's really what I focus on. What I really loved about it was it would tell you, it kind of forced you to really hone in your message and kind of write the report. Um, I think one of the biggest drawbacks about that though, or kind of the double-edged sword with that is if you don't have the background, it can be really difficult um, because you're not, like again, they're not going to tell you what to look for. They're not going to tell you this is what you need out of a zone corner. This is what you need out of a man-to-man corner or whatnot. It's kind of more letting you, throwing you out into the deep end and kind of seeing if you can swim a little bit, which, um, you know, some people don't learn that way. I definitely get frustrated, but that's definitely one of the better ways I learned by doing it. I think that'd be definitely one of the biggest frustrations about that program that I had initially. But then after a while, you kind of come to appreciate and you kind of realize, you know, you know, you're sitting there and this is still my own opinion. And that was kind of huge for me is like I I felt like what I was putting was still my work and not just me reciting something else that I'd learned from a textbook or something like that. And I think that's one of the can be one of the frustrating parts. And one of the things that you can de- I can definitely see a lot of people not liking about it was where it's not as hands on as you might have liked. But definitely uh, definitely helps me out and helps you out if you are uh, um, know where you're going with and have at least somewhat of a background going into it. Exactly. It seems, I think like the way I would put it is you would be structuring like sentences in your report as this is the trader. This is the thing I believe, uh, I believe about him. And this is like a specific detail about uh, why this happens or an example of when this happens. So this play, uh, this player struggles in pass protection because his right. hands are low and his uh his he keeps his hands too low and he doesn't have the hand quickness to attack defender's chest right now if you don't know that when you're watching pass blocking offensive linemen that a pretty good tell about who wins the rep is which lineman gets their hands on the other lineman's chest first if the defender can get his hands into the into the chest into the shoulder pads he's in control of the lineman and he will normally win that rep, whether he wants to move him out of the way and pass rushing, put bull rush him down for bull rushing him forward. So I can understand like that frustration of being right. forced to um, give reasons why, when you don't know the little <laughs> details on how to play certain positions. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, they do provide like some, like some resources before you got kind of get into the film, but at the end of the day, they're not going to, they're not going to tell you what to think. They're going to tell you how to think, basically, is a good way to put it. But, yeah. 
That's cool. Um, did you, uh, what was their uh, scale like? Um, I I was working with a guy who came from the scouting academy, and he told me that he was writing his reports in scouting academy style, and that he just <laughs> told me to like s- switch them up whenever he um would do so. But one of the things I noticed is he would always capitalize the words like um there was like words that correlated to a grade, and he would always capitalize <laughs> amazing, great, very good. Yeah. Do you remember that? Do you remember that scale? And uh, how did you feel about that? And what did uh, what did what do you feel those words meant? Um, so, yeah, each scale kind of re- related to like a point, like uh, I think elite would be like a seven, which is the max. And then like good would be like a five, which is slightly above average. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that was definitely one of the things is you ha- you do have to you do have to learn their terminology and kind of how that correlates um, the thing I didn't quite like about that one is, I mean, I'm like coming from a writing background is I like, I like using a lot of a uh, word variation and a lot of synonyms and not being like good here, good here, good here, good here, good here, very good here, bad here, bad here, bad here, bad here or whatnot. Um, so I think that was probably one of my first frustrations actually when I was writing my reports was I want to write with, you know, adjectives, but they like it in a very structured format where, you know, you keep the language consistent and it makes sense because you want, they want you to keep the language consistent. So it stays along that one to seven's grading scale. Um, but yeah, that was the biggest thing. That's definitely something where, you know, I think when you're, when you're scouting from a, for a public facing standpoint, like what we are doing or, you know, something like the draft network where if you read that you'd fall asleep, you know, if you're, if you pick up that scouting report as a consumer or as a, just someone in the general public, it's not going to be very fun to read. There's not going to be, it's going to be, pretty much boring but if you're you know a scout that's honestly that's any sort of organization they're going to have their own sort of language but they're going to have uh you know a way of talking about it and a great way of grading scale and they're going to want you to write that way and um you know kind of be more vanilla with uh with your sentence structure and whatnot then rather than uh vary it up a little bit so yeah, because at least to me, when I hear somebody st- say, oh, this player has good speed, I'm like, <laughs> what does that mean? But the uh, it yeah. appears to me that the Scouting Academy actually has, like, like meanings behind each word. Like, right. good would mean sufficient for an NFL starter. Or, right, yeah. And, yeah, that's kind of, um, that's kind of what we do with um, our number scale, our scales for positional traits is, yeah, nine is the proverbial 99 in Madden. The, the <laughs> you're walking in, and this is going. You're going to be the best in the NFL at this at trait. Like Henry Ruggs and speed, uh, speed yeah. Lamar Jackson, mobility. Yeah, those those kind of uh, things. And that's why I I'm of the um, opinion that making your number or having your numbers backed by words or by having like definitions for the numbers <laughs> is my um is my preferred trait and like like I kind of talked with with Jesse last week and uh, um with the Jarvis's old scale different people like things um understand things differently and Jesse prefers the easy oh one one through one through fifteen add add them all up kind of uh, structure gotcha. and. It, there's just it's just so interesting to me that one there are so many different ways to do things but all of the the ways that are out in public are all pretty similar we go three <laughs> through nine scouting yeah. academy goes one through seven yeah it's uh kind of neat well, kind of neat that way to make it even even uh to reinforce it even more in the scouting academy you'll actually submit for each trait you'll submit like a, a number grade and then your report um then your report reflects it when the language that they're talking about. But yeah, it's funny you say that. Uh, Cause I remember one of the things that that was like a more of a fun fact than a lesson that uh, they're talking about in the scouting Academy is with uh, like Chip Kelly in the, uh, when he's running the Eagles, they would have like, they would color code it. Like this is a green player. This is a blue player, which to me is just way more confusing than just giving it, assigning it a simple number, at least saying like his speed's a seven or rather than, or his speed's good. Like his speed is blue. That doesn't make any sense to me, but <laughs> some way, some way, I guess you got to learn language, just like learning a foreign language. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, that's actually kind of um, oh, a thing that I remember is uh, the old Nolan Naraki draft guides. Did you ever, did you ever read any of those? No, uh, not, not, can't say I did. 
Okay, so uh, back when Nolan Naraki was with Pro, Pro Football Weekly, um, he would come out with what was considered like the best dra- um, draft guides uh, on the market. He was known for being um, very detailed in studying backgrounds. He had very outspoken opinions when like a quarterback had any character issue. He would know it and he would put that uh, put that to the forefront. Uh, he's now with Mayock and Gruden in, with the Raiders now. Um, I I got the book when I was like in high school and it went, most of it went over my head, but I still (laughs) loved, still loved reading it. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, blue was, blue was like blue chip for uh, top level and red, uh, red was kind of in the middle and then green, green is below. And, um, when I was, I would have done that so differently. Yeah, and like I thought it was based based off poker chips because I um oh. I actually kind of used but it's it's not like I, I looked it up and it's not like the the, the same way but <laughs> um on on our on our grading numbers we actually kind of kind of took that uh, 7.0s or higher are going to be the uh, are going to be blues so that the people in the NFL who do understand kind of blue chip red chip green chip will kind of hopefully kind of see that connection so yeah seven sevens higher are going to be blues 6.1s are going to be uh, red 59 and below is going to be green and I'm not quite sure what I want 6.0 to be Right now it's just white, and I'm not quite sure if uh, I am have any reason to change uh, change that. <laughs> and so, here I was just thinking you just picked those colors randomly. You're thinking oh, ahead. <laughs> yeah, just that's uh like we're everything everything uh, all scales inspire other scales. It's all like weirdly connected, like a long movie trilogy or something. <laughs> exactly, definitely. Uh, what other just because um, you've been able to pick up so many um, different traits and different skills from so, uh, so many different people? How would you describe your scouting style? Uh, scouting style now. Uh, what do you think are some of the things that you are strongest at, and what are some of the things that you still feel that uh, you need to improve on? I think my style now is I try and take I try and take as much of a holistic approach as possible. Um, you know, I think one of the things a lot of people uh, that and where a lot of people start getting into arguments is we don't is they want to take one trait or one piece of the puzzle and say if that piece is like the other one, then the whole thing will fit and the whole picture will fit as as it did before. When realistically, um, what I mean what it is is a whole bunch of pieces like 10 different pieces that you're really piecing together and trying to figure it out and what i mean by that is like you know you look at factors like stats or traits you you know a guy can have really great stats in college and be a bust or a guy can have really great stats in college and that continues in the nfl a guy can you know have bad stats and have great traits and just was in the wrong system um and kind of moving forward and uh and then moving forward in the nfl ends up thriving whereas i think a lot of people where they fall into the trap is they say Oh, this guy, this guy was fast, you know, to bring up your example of Henry Ruggs, John Ross ran a, a similar 40 times. So a lot of people want to compare John Ross to uh, Henry Ruggs or um, sorry to open up the wound for Raider fans. But a lot of people want to compare uh, Henry Ruggs to Darius Hayward Bay because they're both fast. When in reality, it's like, well, no, John Ross couldn't beat press coverage and he couldn't really run a route other than a post and a go. Whereas Henry Ruggs, yeah, he was fast, too. And he might not have had the production. But he could also run routes. He could also stop on a dime and uh, thrive in those intermediate areas. And I think that's where uh, I kind of try and where I at least try to try to take the holistic approach of looking at everything, taking in as much information as possible, looking at what they produce in college, looking at the film as well and putting it all together and letting that all factor in. Um, And then from there, that's kind of like. I think that's definitely become one of my biggest strengths is taking the whole thing into into account and taking the whole picture into account. Um, I think one of my biggest weaknesses is still is a um, um, I probably say just a a general knowledge of um, being able to separate scheme from what they how it translates to the next level. You know, I'm definitely one of those people that falls into the trap of this is the, what the player was used in how they were used in college. This is how they're going to be used in the NFL. Um, when that's just not the true. I mean, Justin Jefferson's a great example of that guy in college was 
only producing from the slot and wasn't really producing from the outside. Now you see him out in the Vikings, and now he's out thriving on the outside as well. And I think I definitely fall into that pit, pitfall of, um, you know, this guy was only a slot receiver, or this guy was only a slot corner in college or an outside corner in college or whatever. Uh, and so that's where he's going to be in the NFL, or he's only good in, or he's only in, good in man coverage in college, so that's what he'll only be good at in the NFL. And I think that's definitely one of my biggest strengths that I'm trying to get over is figuring out, um, you know, how to separate what they're being asked to do in college and how to figure out what they'll be good at in the NFL, if that makes sense. Oh yeah. Uh, I, the word I was thinking of when you were, when you were talking about that is imaginative, being able to project a player, see something in a player that isn't being, um, that isn't being shown on film. And now, uh, wanting like imagining a player is like, you would think that would be kind of like a bad thing. Like, Oh, this is what the player is on film. We should be watching what the play right. what, uh, player is doing on film. But what like some people have, and what some what some uh, what some scouts are able to do, um, is they're able to see a, a player and recognize that that player is playing out of position. Um, they are able to notice um, what kind of skill sets work best with different positions. Um, for an example, uh, O.C. Umenoria from the Giants. Um, yep. You know, he played nose tackle in college. I did not know that. That's that's insane. Exactly. So yeah. if you if we go back then and we watch some o, uh, some OC tape, then <laughs> we, we'll be watching this and we probably won't be able to give a good evaluation of it because we're like, oh, we see all the physical tools. We just don't see the product production. We need to be imaginative and take that um take that skill set that he has that isn't being used and almost ima- uh, imagine what it would be like at the next level. And you're playing a very dangerous game because you don't want to imagine something that isn't real. But sometimes right. there are things that are real that aren't being shown. It's like, <laughs> yeah, and it, it's a fine line. I mean, it's it's a hard line to toe. And I think that's part of the reason why myself and a lot of other people kind of fall into that is because it's a lot easier, a lot easier to fall back on and be like, well, he never did it in college. Like if he never did it in college, what makes you think he can do it in the NFL? It's, I mean, that's it's a it's a lot harder to defend when you're saying oh, no, I think this guy would be better in the slot or better in wherever uh, in the NFL when he did it in college or when he didn't and what versus when he didn't do it. And you're sitting there kind of twiddling your thumbs like, well, this is a harder argument to make. And I think that's where uh, where a lot of people go wrong, including myself. So, yep. And sometimes like reality is so far removed from the projection that like nobody could get it. If you were to tell me that Justin Herbert, who was biggest weakness i thought coming out of college was his play under pressure um i think like his pff his pff stuff was like he was like not even in the top 50 in like grade under pressure and his stats under pressure if you would have told me that he'd be one of the highest graded quarterbacks under pressure <laughs> his first year yeah. in his first couple of games it's like yeah yeah i mean it's it's and, then, I, and I think that's one thing that's one thing that's you know frustrating as an evaluator is like at the end of the day like at the end of the day, like guys can have bad years, guys can have bad games, and I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's such an unpredictable sport, and especially from the draft, is so unpredictable. Like, there's so many factors that come into it. It's impossible to nail down a perfect science. If there was a perfect science to nail down what prospects were going to be elite and what prospects were going to be, um, you know, all pros and which guys were going to be busts, then there would be no need for GMs. Everyone would just we just run a computer for the draft and it would be like fantasy auto draft. We're just kind of putting everybody in one spot. So I think that's I mean, it's 100 percent like there is some there's a human element to this game, believe it or not, that's played by humans where it's just some stuff you it struggles to explain and it doesn't really make sense. Yeah. I mean, if, if, uh, if everyone was perfect at scouting then scouting wouldn't really be perfect. It takes, uh, takes away kind of the whole, like per the whole purpose of it. Exactly. So yeah, it's, um, that's, yeah. I remember, uh, my last podcast with Jesse, I was talking about Jesse Carmen or Jackson Carmen out of Clemson and, uh, Jesse out of nowhere asked, asked me, do you see him as more of a tackle or a guard? And I just felt so guilty at that moment that <laughs> I didn't even go through the even like the tiniest bit of mental and no neuron can right. is even like connected to the thought of, hey, you know, maybe a 335 pound tackle who struggles a bit in pass protection would be better yeah. served at guard. Mm-hmm. 
So, yeah. and then I just kind of, I just kind of winged it and kind of made the Isaiah Wynn comparison and like, hey, just because you're a big, a uh, big guy and aren't yeah. the best at pass protecting, if you can pass protect at a certain level, you can stay there. And I think he has at least a chance there. So I kind of tried to defend myself, but I was just so <laughs> mad at myself for not even yeah. putting that in my, anywhere in my process. Yeah. I mean, a hundred percent. Like, I mean. Biggest thing is you can't beat yourself up over that because, like you said, like that's it's such a nuanced thing, and you know maybe you didn't think he had a problem at tackle and you didn't feel like you needed to, and you know Jesse thought he did. As long as you can, uh, as long as you feel confident in yourself and back it up, then I think you'd be good to go. But yeah, it, it's a great point of like it's very difficult to to see see something like that when it's just not there. You're seeing something that's not there essentially. Exactly. All right, so you you've done about twelve uh twelve reports for XTB so far, uh, great great total considering you uh, came in a little late. Um, who were some of your uh, favorite pro um favorite prospects that you've watched? Um, did were you able to get any good first or uh, first or second rounders, or did or did sales take them all? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean sales probably took them all. I, I, that's a safe bet right there. That guy that guy grinds out more uh, more reports than I've ever seen before, but um. I'll go with two guys that I've done pretty recently and keep them fresh in my mind. The first one is probably my favorite guy that I've watched so far. Um, would be our Darius Washington from uh, from uh, TCU. He's a he's a redshirt sophomore, so I mean there's a good chance he might come back um, given the situation. I, I haven't kept up on him too much uh, how he's playing this year, but last year he was a uh, last year he was a redshirt freshman um, and only started about four or five games uh i think pff only had him in at like about 450 snaps and he had five interceptions and seven or and excuse me two pass breakups which is pretty damn good production given the given that low snap count and i mean i think the things that stood out to me is the guy can just fly the guy has ranged from sideline to sideline uh obviously has the ball skills to go up with it go up and get or to go along with it and I mean, at five nine, he can go up and high point a ball still, and still kind of win at the catch point, which is impressive. I'd like to see him play with a little bit better angles. There were a few times where I felt like he was uh, a little bit overconfident in his speed, and ended up cutting it short. Um, you know, one play that sticks out in my mind is Chuba Hubbard broke off like an eighty yard touchdown run, and he's just sitting there chasing, took a took kind of a bad angle. But I think that'll come with a little bit more experience playing at the position and being a full time starter. Um, again, you know, the film I'm watching from last year is him at 19 years old. Going back to what I was talking about before, he's not a finished product by any means at this point. Um, and I think, you know, being able to learn how to play with the play with angles, especially when you're coming from a, or fairly recently coming from playing in high school, where you're, I can guarantee he was the fastest guy on the field every time he stepped on the field, and versus going against Chuba Hubbard, who I believe is a uh, on the Oklahoma State's track team, if I remember that correctly. Um, I think so. I think that'll come with time, but I feel I felt like he could sneak into the back of the first round, um, maybe end up falling in the second if he came out this year. Uh, I think if he comes back and stays in school as long as he stays healthy and keeps progressing, I think if he came out as a redshirt junior, he'd have no problem being in the first round. But I would not be surprised to see him declare after this year um, and go in the back end of round one. All right. So when we talk about safeties, so we have um, we um, we make it easy on the scouts. We have four critical traits that we ask each scout to look at, and four secondary uh, traits to um, look at. The one trait that I just kind of feel is really, um, I guess I don't want to say different, but just one I never uh, thought of in the uh, brainstorming process of getting the draft guide guide done. This was one of the traits that Searle pounded the table for, and that is three-level impact. Is this player able to make um, plays both de uh, um, well down 40 yards away from the line of scrimmage on deep passes, interrupt intermediate passes, and play close to the li uh, line of scrimmage? Like, um, how does he, one, how do you feel about three level impact as like a trait? And, um, how do you feel our Darius Washington is able to impact the game at all the levels? So when you're saying three level, I just want to clarify, uh, good that we're talking about this now. Um, you're talking about not necessarily lining up in like in the box or on the line of scrimmage, but being able to affect short, medium and deep passes. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So pretty, it's, it's a kind 
I think it's a bit of a fancy way of saying versatility. Um, We have the prototype as Jamal Adams, but what I think of three-level impact, I think of healthy Derwin James. How Derwin James would be uh, comfortable at the line of scrimmage, rushing the passer, stopping the run. He would be... um, comfortable in a uh, hook zone short zone playing robber interrupting things over the middle and he's comfortable playing sideline to sideline it's a middle uh mid free safety uh middle free safety gotcha yeah i mean washington is definitely not jamal adams he's definitely a completely different player than jamal is um i mean obviously jamal being an all pro that would be a little ridiculous to to think that uh washington could do that could do that right away but i definitely definitely trust him in the deep areas um and i trust him in the intermediate areas too because i like his ability to uh read and react to routes um you know a lot of inbreaking routes he's quick to he was quick to react to him and has a change of direction and acceleration to be able to come up and if he's not going to make a play on the ball at least limit yards after the catch and then in the short areas, um, you know, he played a lot of deep safety, so he didn't get a whole lot of uh, exposure in that. But the few plays he did when he kind of lined up a little bit closer to the box, a little bit more of that strong safety position, uh, um, you know, probably like six, seven yards from the line of scrimmage instead of eight to ten as a free safety. Um, you know, he could he could do the same, but he's definitely one of the biggest one of the biggest angst I had with him, along with the angles that I was talking about, would be his uh, his ability to stop the run and be a factor against the run, which unfortunately for him, I don't think he's going to be able to really overcome just because of his sheer size. Um, you know, at five, eight or whatever he is. And he's, uh, you know, I think like 185 pounds soaking wet, you know, that's just probably not really going to be his game. You know, he could make tackles and whatnot and, you know, be that kind of deep safety to make sure the home run doesn't get hit, but I wouldn't trust him to come up and be able to play in the box like you would see like a Jamal Adams or even a Derwin James and uh, take on you know tight ends or or offensive linemen are definitely going to be out of the question and be able to shed blocks. So I think definitely trust him in the deep and intermediate areas. And um, you know I like his ability to be able to come up and play when he's playing a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage against the pass. But yeah, run defense was definitely something where I felt like he's kind of lacking and not really part of his game right now that he can definitely add to it with, which is probably what's uh, holding him back from, or which is part of what's holding him back from being a sure thing as a first rounder and potentially having to come back to school. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I hate doing comparisons and um, I hate sucking players into comparisons. (laughs) Like we were talking about like Henry Ruggs and Darius Hayward Bay. But if this, if uh, do you, do you see, uh, does he kind of play with like a, Tyron Matthews sense of abandon where he can like overcome that size yet or do you think that's going to come later um no not yet I don't think he's I don't think he's because Tyron Matthew where how he overcomes it is he's just physical as hell like he's going to come up and he's going to lay the wood and Tyron Matthew for his size is a little bit thicker than a uh or decently thick for his size and going to be definitely thicker than Washington um don't know if that's really ever going to be a part of his game uh or Washington's game but I can definitely see that like kind of mentality uh, of attacking where Tyra Matthew, you know, like I was talking about, I'm being able to converge and make plays and get pass breakups and that end up end of it. But yeah, I don't know if I saw the same aggressiveness that you see with the Honey Badger and in, in Washington. So okay, all right, uh, let's move on. Uh, let's move on to your um, the other skill position player that you told me you watched, uh, Des Fitzpatrick out of Louisville, correct? Playing by Tutu Atwell. Yeah, he plays next to Tutu. Um, they're a lot, a lot of times they're lined up on the same side, which definitely helps him out because with Tutu out there, as I know you guys, you and Marcus talked about Tutu quite a bit. Um, Tutu's a kind of like a Henry Ruggs type kind of player where he's a little bit smaller, gonna be able to take the top off a of defense, and that's gonna open things up for uh, Fitzpatrick. But I was kind of going into it thinking more when I knew he was like the number two. I was going into it thinking more. This guy might not be as impressive, and I ended up being pretty blown away. I liked his uh, ability to get in and out of cuts. He can be able to—he was a speed cut guy, but could explode at the top of his speed cuts and didn't have to slow down to make turns. Um, my biggest problem with him is he's—he's he's a body catcher who's not going to go up and attack the ball, which was again, you know, thinking of complimenting Atwell and the speed. That's what I thought he'd thrive at, which he wasn't. Um, definitely more kind of lets it get into him and not going to be much of a contested catch guy, which, um, you know, if you're not a sharp cut guy, it's going to be a bit of a struggle because you're the, the windows of separation in the NFL are going to shrink, uh, shrink for him. But yeah, I mean, he's another guy where 
I loved his line of scrimmage skills. I loved his foot quickness. He's a he's a savvy guy. You know, he'll give you head fakes, shoulder fakes. Um, I probably watched at least in the few games I watched on him, or the few games I watched on him, probably watched him absolutely leave someone in the dust on double moves at least five times, where he's just selling the inside and then breaking to the outside quickly and uh, being able to have the acceleration to to maximize that separation and um, you know, he does the same thing against the, in play action to sell a run too, where he kind of comes off uh, looking like he's going to block. And then again, has that speed, has that burst, has that quick twitch to be able to, to break away down the field and end up scoring touchdowns. So that was definitely uh, one of the guys I was most surprised with going into it. And um, I think I ended up giving him a third to fourth round grade right now. So I, I feel like he can be a good, good number three going into it. Uh, as a rookie and maybe develop into a, a decent number two option for a team. All right. That's a, that sounds like a, pr- a pretty exciting player. I mean, when you, when I hear words like explosion and lots of separation, I mean, that right there um, gets me interested. I know there's been kind of like a weird uh, counterintuitive movement about like wide receivers hands not mattering as much as separation. <laughs> I won't go that far. <laughs> I still think hands are still the most yeah. important trait for a wide receiver. Yeah. But I would take I would absolutely consider taking a guy who may have C minus hands if they have A minus separation. Yeah, exactly. I mean, at, at that NFL level, anybody that's going to be a wide receiver is going to be able to catch it with the with a a blue ocean around him. Uh, it's kind of type of separation. It's just a matter of, you know, is he going to be able to? Is it going to translate? And uh, you know, I, like I said, I think it will for him. Um, he's just going to have to do do a few other things to improve that catch radius for him. Yeah, I'm. Sometimes I kind of wish that like uh, Tutu Atwell and Fitzpatrick could have been playing when Lamar Jackson was down there. Yes. Could you imagine like Tutu Atwell and Lamar Jackson running like inverted veer jet sweeps or something? Oh my goodness. Yeah, I mean it would have been dirty. I mean Tutu like Tutu's a guy where I I know you guys and Mark already touched on him, but it's like every time he touches the ball, you you hold your breath if you're the defensive coordinator because he's gonna score or he's gonna he can score on you from anywhere. So yeah. I, I, and that was definitely one of the things that I think uh, holds both those guys back is I'm not a big fan of the excuse me the quarterback out of Louisville I forget his first name but Cunningham he wasn't a, didn't strike me as an extremely accurate guy and I think that's part of the reason why you see um, at least Fitzpatrick I know um, Atwell last year like set the school record for receiving yards but I think Fitzpatrick only had about I want to say 700 yards last year which is not bad but you know, obviously not what you're looking for in a in an NFL prospect. You'd like to see at least a at least one comma in there or whatnot. Um, but uh, I do, I mean, I do think that that was part of the reason why he struggled to put up those big impressive numbers uh, going out there. Okay, yeah, and I mean, you know, like you, you can only uh, a wide receiver can only be as productive as the opportun- opportunities to um, granted to him. Like exactly. Henry Ruggs wasn't all that productive because they, the coaching staff thought he was like the third uh, best wide uh, wide receiver yeah. on Alabama, which is absolutely not like. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, if if Tua stayed healthy that whole season, I think um, I honestly think LSU and Alabama w- would probably be like both one and two for like the greatest college teams I've seen in my life. Like yeah. that is how ridiculously talented those two teams were. Yeah, and I mean, with the rugs, it, there's a lot of mouth to feed when feed when three other guys around you are first round picks. <laughs> like exactly, it's 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 tough sledding. So I mean, that was definitely definitely one of the things that you know, I was it's again, it's hard to separate with uh, with rugs. Is like, yeah, this guy doesn't have the production you want, but at the end of the day, he's got the traits. Uh, going back to what we were talking about before, and kind of have to look at that situation of, you know, he's getting open, but so, unfortunately, so are two other guys every other play. So. Mhm. All right. Any uh, any other pl- uh, player you scout uh, scouted that you'd l- like to talk about? Uh, talk about? Uh, let's see. I'll go with the. Uh, let's go with Derek King. He was actually a guy that I watched. That actually, as I watched more this year, I'm starting to like a little bit more. But I was hoping to um, hoping to see a lot more on film than I ended up doing as him as a passer. I mean, him as a runner is he's stupid. Like it's not even fair how good that guy's feet are. He's quick as hell can make guys missed. Um, 
But from what I saw of him as a passer, he was very inaccurate, you know, missing guys balls uh, behind guys constantly. Like, I think I only felt like I only gave him or I was only confident with him being accurate to stationary targets and like the short to intermediate areas of the field. Um, and I think he's sure that up a little bit this year. And, uh, you know, I do think part of that, too, was, you know, the guy only played four games last year. So it's obviously a limited sample size from uh what I was be, what I was able to watch. So a lot of what I was able to watch was more of his uh, his uh, what would that have been his sophomore season, which you know not always not necessarily the most fair competition, but it's kind of the situation he put himself in by um, you know transferring and only playing four years or four games last year. But I think this year, from what I've seen in the Miami games that I've been watching, outside of this last week against Clemson, but a lot of people struggle against Clemson. Uh, was a much improved passer, a little bit more on the money. You know, maybe that comes from playing with a little bit better supporting cast around him and a guy like Brevin Jordan. Um, but yeah, that was definitely one guy that I was disappointed with in the in the preseason, but is kind of coming back more into favor this year uh, as the season goes on and as he keeps tearing it up. Uh, you know, I think he's keep. I think I keep seeing him on the the PFF stuff as he's one of their top graded passers right now in college football. Um, wow. but, but yeah, so. Definitely interested to see where he ends up and kind of what teams want to uh, take a chance on him because he's got the Kyler Murray size, but not the Kyler Murray accuracy right now. So, yeah, let's uh, let's take a look because with um, you know, with De'Eric De- King, like when you, when I hear things just like a- accuracy, um, but just an incredibly good runner. I'm almost thinking, is he gonna be a Taysom Hill kind of player, <laughs> or is there? Do you think there's any real chance that he can be a team's friend? Um, what do you think the odds are that he can be a legitimate, um, a legitimate top twenty franchise quarterback? Uh, I mean, I, I'm not big on him as being a, a franchise quarterback at the moment. Um, especially, I mean, especially a little sour with the the recent game against Clemson, like I was talking about. Um, you know, I, I think a Taysom Hill type role could be pretty good for him. Um, you know, I, I like I said, I love him as a runner, and I hate to say this, but I would like I I could definitely see teams in the NFL wanting to use him as a running back and kind of want to resurfacing that old Lamar Jackson take. But you know, at least Lamar Jackson was six three, and Lamar Jackson uh, could sling it a little bit better and was a little bit more accurate than uh, Derek King is. But um, yeah, I, I right now I wouldn't say I can really see. I can really see a team turning over the keys of the franchise for him right now. I think I graded him out as a, a sixth or seventh round pick in the preseason, probably moved up to fourth or fifth right now, right with uh, how he's played. But um, yeah, I mean, he, he's a, he's a guy where I could see a team maybe wanting to take a chance on him just because he is so dynamic and he can do so many things for you. Uh, but I don't see him being anywhere close to being an NFL starter as year one and, anywhere near a franchise quarterback heading into the draft. Okay, so what you're saying is the Cardinals are going to draft him in the sixth round to back up Kyler Murray. I would be ecstatic if that happened. One, because it would just be hilarious to see them in the, in the same quarterback room and all the, the memes we would at least get from that uh, from that standpoint. And two, I think if you could put them in like a backfield in like some like wildcat situation, kind of what they do with Taysom Hill, that could be absolutely dangerous because you have two guys who can beat you with the feet and beat you with their arm there. That'd be that would be I would love that offensive and that fit for him if he can figure it out. It's just uh, a matter of if the if the Cardinals are willing to do that. Yeah, I mean, uh, most of the wildcat Taysom Hill backup quarterbacks are paired with not athletic quarterbacks. I mean, you have Jalen Hurts yeah, paired with Carson Wentz. You have um, uh, Taysom Hill Taysom paired Hill. with uh, Drew Brees. You've seen we've seen a little bit of the Ravens playing with the what was it the Heisman backfield where they have Lamar RG3. Jackson, RG three, and uh, Mark Ingram. I really think that there is a potential kind of gimmicky, maybe new kind of wildcat formation where you <laughs> have put two uh, put two quarterbacks on the field and threaten like direct snaps to the other uh direct snaps to the other quarterback invert uh inverted veers or read options yeah. between two quarterbacks but in this uh in this time when the um you hand it off to the second quarterback that's the running back that should that's a quarterback it, he can throw uh throw off of it um oh, by any chance is Eric king left-handed no he's not he's righty oh yeah. um i wish 
uh, bad radio, but there was an <laughs> offense called the Fun Row Offense that was run by Louisiana Monroe in the early 2010s. Um, it was mostly used for a couple games, but they were able to beat Rank Baylor with it. But it ran a concept of um, they had a right-handed quarterback and a left-handed wide receiver quarterback combo, and they would um, bring uh uh, depending on which side of the hash they were on. So if they were on the um, uh, right hash, the, the, the wide receiver quarterback would come into motion. They could either uh, they could hand the ball off to the, um, the, the other quarterback like a jet sweep, <laughs> and then the quarterback is left-handed, so he can then pu- uh, pull off to throw, or the, court, uh, the actual quarterback can like, play action it, inverted veer, go in, or play action. So... There's just so I'm just yeah I'm just throwing stuff at the wall. I think it would be really fun to see um, Kyler Murray paired with uh, De'Eric King. Heck, we watched Chris Traveler uh, yesterday. Let's see some Kyler <laughs> Murray, Chris Traveler on the same field. Chris Traveler is kind of that ta- uh, Taysom Hill guy. He played in the CFL. We were watching yeah. some tape on him yet um yesterday. But yeah. But yeah, a similar note to what you're talking about with the was it you say Louisiana Monroe or Louisiana Tech? I can't remember. Uh, Monroe. Monroe. It was yeah, called so the Fun Row. The Fun Row. I like it. I uh, Princeton a few years ago, probably about the same time, they used to run a. It was like a sub package where they had three quarterbacks on the field at one time. So maybe, maybe we can get uh, that guy from the CFL, Kyler Murray and Derek King, on the field at the same time. I mean, if any NFL coach is going to run it, I gotta think it'd be Cliff Kingsbury, which would be pretty awesome to watch because. Basically, the thought is you do the you spread out your linemen and then you can throw it by, throw it to one of the quarterbacks and it puts stress on those DBs and linebackers to either come up and play the run because obviously those guys can run still or uh, you know dump them over the top and try and get a one-on-one matchup with one of your wide receivers. So hey, maybe we, maybe we can make it happen. I think Cliff Kingsbury is imaginative enough to to try it in the NFL. Don't know if it'll work, but what, hell, why not? Mm-hmm. It would be it would be very fun to play on in Madden. Uh, you, you know, once once the gameplay gets a little cleaned up, maybe next next gen it can happen. But yeah, don't we yeah, say that foot, every year? <laughs> yeah, football is definitely moving in a fun direction. Please go watch a football game from 2000 and like 2006 to 2008, and you'll actually see like 21 personnel <laughs> in I formations and people running isos on second and nine and kicking field goals on fourth and one at the three yard line it's like gross <laughs> yeah it is it, is, it was it's funny how the game's evolved and i mean kind of saw it coming with the the evolution of spread in college that's now making its way to the nfl but yeah i, I always love watching it i don't know if you follow uh, pff seth but he posted that uh, play that went viral uh from like the 1920s or whatever where the guy like overhead passes it to the end zone and it was just like a comedy of errors watching those and watching today's football is is pretty freaking hilarious yeah yep uh also shout out pff seth as um are, are you still with technically with pff doing stuff yeah or? yeah I'm, I'm still running the cowboys account for them on the the mcp side oh and i'm i'm running the eagles account so wow i can't believe this I know. Um, so it'll be Paul versus Matt Holder, Senior <laughs> Bowl. Uh, we're gonna have a we're gonna have a nice little fist fight, and um, we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll sell tickets. We'll let you guys know. <laughs> yeah, we'll live stream it. Exactly. Uh, exactly. All right. So on the note of pointless violence, um, I think this would be a good time to um, head out. Matt, uh, give us your give us your socials. Um, Tell, uh, tell whatever listeners everything they need to know uh, know about you to get in touch, that that kind of stuff. Yeah, so yeah, follow me on Twitter. That's uh, my main social account where I post all my all my articles, uh, all my scouting reports, and do uh, some scouting videos every now and again with just different breakdowns. My Twitter handle is at mholder95. Um, but yeah, and then uh, like Paul mentioned in the in the beginning, uh, check out my weekly column. I highlight you know three different games that have. Uh, as many NFL draft prospects as uh, as possible every week. I think this week uh, had the uh, the old Georgia Alabama game on there with where I can basically just list both of theirs too deep, and that's that's what you need to watch. But uh, yeah, I mean check that out every week. Every week that comes out usually on Wednesday or Thursday, 
And then yeah, follow me on Twitter at mholder95. All right. And uh, I my Twitter um, is the football, which is why this is the football scouting podcast. Came up with that name when I'm 16, and it was still the uh, <laughs> my shining moment of glory. It's like Lord, uh, Lord, uh, the singer Lord wrote the song Royals when she was 15, but I came up with the football at 16. So level playing field. Yeah, um, I'll take so that you one. Can, Yep, you can follow the football on Twitter and absolutely follow um follow expand the box score. We just got a newsletter out, so you can get all of the reports that we wrote that week just sent straight to your inbox. And yeah, I'm really happy that everybody's been supporting the podcast. It's been fun, and uh, we'll be we'll be back next week with I believe Jake Lemming. We're going to talk with a recruiting expert. Thank you guys. Have a great uh, rest of your day.